Today on Watching Your Wealth, we'll look at the habits of ineffective investors. This is Watching Your Wealth from the Wall Street Journal. Now, from our studios in New York, here's Veronica Dagger. This is Veronica Dagger, and you're listening to Watching Your Wealth, where you learn all you need to know about building your wealth and protecting your money. Spencer Jacob is deputy editor of Heard on the Street at the Wall Street Journal. He's also the author of the new book called Heads I Win, Tales I Win. It's great to have you on the podcast, Spencer. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. I love the title of the book. Tell us briefly, how did you get the idea for the book? Well, I mean, I've I've been doing this for a long time. I was an analyst uh, for many years. I've been a financial journalist for 14 years uh, since then. And in this job, and you probably experience the same thing, you're asked all the time, what do you think? What do you think (laughs) I should buy? How does the market look? People at neighborhood barbecues and picnics. And, you know, the advice, I mean, certainly in the last several years, uh, since I've become a bit wiser about the market, is I have no idea what the market is going to do. I can't really tell you if you should buy Apple if oil is going up or down. And no one on TV knows that either. But here's some some good advice. And I think some people do take the advice, uh, but a lot of people, I think their eyes glaze over and they just don't have the, the proper mindset or the, the two or three minute speech that I give them really isn't proper. And I, I've seen lots of people do very, very poorly. Mm-hmm. And the fact is that most investors uh, do poorly and many don't realize how poorly they're doing. You know, they keep putting money into a 401k and an IRA yeah. and it you know it seems like it's going up, but a lot of it is just their contributions. Their returns are are actually abysmal, and so uh, I, I wrote it for those people. It's really the the kind of the speech that I'd like to give if they had some time to sit down. It's so nice to hear a financial expert say, "I don't know," because <laughs> yeah. I think there's a lot of people saying, "I do know," and they don't know. So let's go right to some of these seven habits of ineffective investors. Not sure if we'll get to all of them. Okay. But the first one you said is there's this temptation for people to get in on a new the new hot deal. So tell us why that's a mistake. Well, I'll, I'll combine two of them uh, just to get through a little bit more quickly. Sure. But, you know, one is to get another hot new deal and the other is to buy what's fashionable. Mm. And there's nothing more fashionable than a hot new deal. Yeah. And, you know, people um, tend to, you know, th- there are thousands of stocks, uh, many, many hundreds of exchange traded funds that slice the market into any way you want. Yet you, you've got to buy Zynga or you've got to buy whatever is, is just coming out to the market now because surely that's going to be the next Microsoft or the next Apple or the next whatever. And, you know, mathematically, it's very impossible for something that's very hyped to become the next Microsoft and go up 10,000 times in value because it would be the largest company on earth, probably. <laughs> uh, but also, uh, you can show that the hit rate on these things, you know, if you, you buy them straight out of the gate, uh, is actually very poor. You're actually, uh, you know, some will do well, but most will not do well. Uh, on average, they'll vastly underperform the market. And the same thing with things that are, are fashionable and also high-priced. Something, a company that's very popular, a company that's very loved, uh, that's very well-known, that many people uh, own, that many people are talking about on TV, will tend to underperform. And I, I look through that in many different ways in the book and slice and dice it, but it, it generally is, is true, and it's a meaningful difference. That, that is important. And I think what you bring out is important because I think the average investor like me often finds out about these hot ideas a little too late. You're not on the inside. So by the time you find out, even if you had a small chance of making that money, it's gone. So I think that's something for people to think about. Another lesson you have in this book 
is or, or the in ineffective habit is combining your money with your morals. And I'm really interested about this one because we hear so much about socially conscious investing, investing for impact, all these sort of things. And so I want to hear your take on why this could be ineffective. Well, it's um, it, it's because um, I mean it, it, it's it's not very effective, and there are studies that show for some selected period that socially conscious funds have done okay. But generally, um, those are not two things that that you should combine. I'm not saying to be immoral or to do immoral <laughs> right. things with I'm your glad. money. We're a very should, moral podcast. I hope, you, I hope everyone gives money to charity and does whatever. <laughs> That's right. But you know, if you go out and um, you buy a cigarette manufacturer, or if you buy uh, a company. Um, you know, perhaps you you disapprove of, of contraception or or whatever something that's religiously or personally objectionable to you. You are not giving money to the people who do that. You are buying those shares from someone else in the market. Excellent point. And since those things are are shunned, uh, they tend to do a little bit better than the rest of the market. Hence, uh, if you're paying someone a fee to go through and select things that are morally not objectionable to you, you're kind of you're paying a fee. For something that's likely to do a bit worse than the market, and uh, avoiding things that uh, that might do quite well because they historically have done quite well, and, and many are in recession-proof businesses. Mm-hmm, indeed. So another mistake is beware the reach for yield, and this is a tough one because a lot of our listeners may have had excess positions in cash, have mm-hmm. been sitting on the sti- sidelines because of the volatility. They desperately want yield, but we need to be careful in the way we go about. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And it's very topical today. And you see, uh, unfortunately, a lot more of this today. So one reason historically that, and I, I can tell you a lot of personal anecdotes of people I know who have, hey, Spencer, I invested in this thing. Uh, it's a mortgage REIT in 2007, or I invested in this thing called a, a royalty trust uh, or a master limited partnership in 2013. And they, some of those people lost 80%, in some cases, nice. 100% of, of their capital. So you're talking about conservative investors who thought that they were getting something for nothing. And today, as you said, it's very, very hard because there is so little yield mm-hmm. to be had. And so you're you're taking a risk. You have to kind of, to, in order to get any income, you have to go out on the risk curve. And unfortunately, that's um, that's likely to backfire in many cases. You have to understand that there is no reward without risk. And things are are packaged in a way to be appealing to people uh, who who want income, but you have to look at where that income is coming from, what the mechanics are, what can go wrong, and they're they're often missold to people, unfortunately. Indeed. Now, we're seeing less and less of this, I think, uh, but you say beware of frequent traders. Mm-hmm. And for some of the investors I'm speaking to, they're not doing this as much, but I think it's a good reminder that mm-hmm. we shouldn't be trading so much. No, you shouldn't. Um, you know, if you... I, I like watching CNBC. I like watching Fast Money. I'm not a Fast Money trader myself and don't own stocks because of my job, but I find it very entertaining. But I, I find the commercials very interesting that are on during those shows uh, where you have it's, – it's always a guy sitting in a room looking at some – you know, he's in a beautiful house looking at a screen – few mouse clicks and then he smiles and you don't <laughs> know what happened easy. right yeah, and he right. just he we just wish. made a lot of money you know that we he made wish. more money than you made all week or all month <laughs> and it, the studies have shown that uh there is even if you take out costs and taxes and things like that out of the equation which can be considerable if you just look at frequency of trading how often people trade in retail brokerage accounts there is a perfect inverse correlation with returns meaning that 
Um, so one famous study looked at 66,000 accounts, and they, which is a very, very large study, mm-hmm. anonymized, of course. And the fifth that traded the most had awful returns, about six percentage points worse per year hmm. than the fifth that traded the least. And that's before taking their – and costs do, do come into it and taxes do come into mm-hmm. it as well. And so it's – it's you know you're you're kind of digging yourself into a hole and like, it's like walking down an up escalator almost if you if you trade a <laughs> Good lot analogy. you know sometimes you'll make money but often you won't really tough to now so give us some advice knowing these mistakes that we're going to avoid now what should an average investor do what should we do so I really urge them in my book and this is not new advice I think I uh, the anecdotes that I that I use to frame it I think will be memorable and hopefully will stick to people yeah they're very funny but but uh, thank you very much <laughs> but. Um, you really should you should be cheap and lazy that's the main thing that you should be i mean <laughs> right. in the sense that you should um you should try to and and that i don't mean to be penny wise and pound foolish some people do uh need and would benefit from advisors either robo advisors or human advisors who they can call on the phone mm-hmm. and talk to uh, but you should only pay as much uh, as you need to which is not to uh, invest in funds with uh, with high fees. You should uh, choose passive funds. You should touch them infrequently. You should especially um, not be tempted to touch them during very exuberant uh, or very bad times. For example, in the aftermath of Brexit, you know, that's not a day you should be running no. out and making a, a decision and, and reallocating your stocks. Mm-mm. And you also uh, should be as mechanical as you can about it in, that, in the sense that if you have a certain allocation to a certain amount of risk, then if the market's been good or bad, Go back to that allocation. The, the the percentages in your actual portfolio will have changed. So you can be a contrarian investor on autopilot with no decision, no cognitive uh, bias by saying every January 1st or every March 1st or whatever, I'm going to go in and I'm going to go back to these percentages and I don't care what the market has done. I don't care if I'm moving in the opposite direction of what everyone is doing because – uh, I show mathematically in my book that that is a huge advantage to you in terms of volatility and long-run return. Great tip, Spencer. Spencer's the author of Heads I Win, Tails I Win. And Spencer, I would love for you to stick around and take our fun financial quiz. You willing to do that? Oh, sure, yeah. All right, you stick around, too. Hi, this is Kevin Sitzemong. This is Beth Cracklauer. Check us out on the Off-Duty Podcast. We talk about food, cocktails, all of the finer things in life. Check us out at wsj.com slash podcast. And become a subscriber on iTunes. WSJ Podcasts. Listen ambitiously. Now, back to the show. Now it's time for Spencer Jacob, author of Heads I Win, Tails I Win, to take our fun financial quiz. Spencer, you ready? I'm ready. All right. Best financial advice you ever heard? The best financial advice I ever heard, uh, and there are a lot of variations on this, is uh, if you buy a stock or buy an investment, what if the market were closed for 10 years um, and you just had to stick it in a drawer and then check in on it in 10 years? Would you buy it? Um, and uh, I think that's what, before you purchase anything, uh, you should think about things that way and frequently should hold things for 10 years or more. Uh, but you should be comfortable with it. Um, so that's, I think, that that is absolutely the best uh, piece of investing advice I've heard. So interesting. Worst financial advice. The worst I, I heard, and so many people have, have told me this, uh, and especially early in my career, you know, I worked uh, – uh, I was a, a top-rated analyst in an investment bank, and I worked with a lot of people who were paid a lot of money to tell very big institutions what to buy and sell. And people said, well, I, I would talk to X you know, before I did that. He knows what he's doing. And what I found is that that was the, actually the, the worst possible thing you, you should do. I mean, hmm. you shouldn't be taking really anyone's buy or sell advice at all. 
But especially when you're speaking to someone who is the expert or one of the experts in something, uh, I find that, you know, extreme levels of expertise, actually, it's not only is it like a coin flip, it's a little bit worse than a coin flip. And, you know, sometimes I, there were times that I, there was a, a stock that I said, hey, I think this is a good company. I'm, I'm going to invest in this company. And then I spoke and said, no, 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 don't do that. <laughs> or they, or the, the reverse happened. And I, I think that you, you shouldn't be enamored of, uh, of very fancy, highly paid experts' advice. I mean, Got that's, it. It's absolutely a mistake. Good, good point. Fill in the blank. Money can buy. Money can buy um, flexibility. I think that's that's what I have, have learned. Um, that money doesn't make you happy uh, in and of itself, but money can lead to happiness because it gives you options in in life. You know, if you don't have to worry about the next month. Uh, or worry about material concerns, you know you're going to have a roof over your head for your family, uh, then um, you can can do things Indeed. that make you happy. Yeah. And money can't buy? Money can't buy happiness. <laughs> I mean, not, not by itself, at least. Uh, yeah. You know, it can buy, um, and people who go out and buy expensive things, the flashy sports car or whatever, that happiness lasts for a very short amount of time. I think, uh, you know, you... you People are uh, a little bit too obsessed with money. It's a funny thing for someone who just wrote a book about money to say, <laughs> to say that. but people really are too obsessed with uh, with material things. I get it. If you won a million dollars after tax, what would you do with it? Ooh, that'd be nice. Um, you know, I would um, I would still come to work uh, tomorrow if I won that money today because I, I really like working here. I like doing what I do. Um, and that's, hey, that's what flexibility gets you, right? I mean, you can, I think most people in the world would uh, would quit their jobs. And um, I gave myself the, the flexibility that um, I'm doing what I like to do. And so I would come back and do this. I would save it. Uh, I would, you know, pay for my uh, three sons' college educations and uh, and maybe some nice things. But mainly I would save it just to give myself that additional cushion. I'm, I'm not, a, not a big spender. I like it. This has been so much fun having you on the podcast. Thank you, Spencer. Thank you. And do you have a wealth management or personal finance question you'd like us to address? Email us at podcast at DowJones.com. This has been Watching Your Wealth, a production of The Wall Street Journal. I'm Veronica Dagger. For more information, check us out at WSJ.com slash podcast. Thanks for listening. WSJ Podcasts. Listen ambitiously.